0: Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
1: Hey, everyone. This is Jimmy Conrad, your favorite former U.S. Men's National Team player and the host of the Call It What You Want podcast. And I'm here to tell you that Viore is a versatile clothing brand that speaks my language. It's inspired from the coastal California lifestyle, just like me. Its products stand the test of time.
2: They have to understand I chose to, to stay in my country because I'm French. And, and the Bernabeu
3: it back! I've got a problem with soccer, so... Foot the
4: area to... oh, What I can guarantee to you is that they want to keep everything secret. Welcome to House of Champions. My name's James Bench here with Mike LaHood and Jonathan Johnson. We hope you're all having a wonderful festive period. We're slap bang in the middle of that strange period between Christmas Day and New Year's Eve where time doesn't seem to move quite right and there's always 500 football matches on. It's brilliant. It's going to be a thrilling end to 2022 in the Premier League and beyond. Mike LaHood and Jonathan Johnson here with me to preview the coming weekend house of champions begins right now mike john merry christmas happy new year i don't know which one we're on right now <laughs> did you guys both have a lovely festive period
2: yeah it was good yes thank you That no, it was good it was a, uh, for us for benji it was our first uh, christmas married christmas here with my missus and i here in san antonio texas so it was a bit of a milestone year for us
5: Fantastic. I mean, for for me, it was a very brief trip back to the UK, spend some time with family, then back to France, spend it with the French family, uh, and then back to, to PSG uh, for uh, for the 28th. So, yeah, I've been uh, quite busy the last few days since we were last on the pod together.
4: Yeah, I mean, it sounds like we've all had pretty manic Christmases, which gives us some insight into what it's like being a Premier League footballer. I, I and, <laughs> and everyone else, i at that stage where I can't quite believe how often teams are playing. Like, I was looking at, I believe... Correct me if I'm wrong. Brentford are playing West Ham on Friday night, and then somehow on the first are then playing again against Liverpool. Um, it has gone a bit crazy, but we're going to start with the Premier League. We're going to start with uh, probably I think the the most intriguing uh, game coming up over the New Year's period. It is the final game on New Year's Eve at five thirty, Brighton against Arsenal. Michael LaHood, Arsenal made. Quite an impressive return to Premier League action. We see there, they're plus 108. But interesting, fun fact for you three teams won at the Emirates in 2022, and it will remain three teams. Those are Manchester City, Liverpool twice, and Brighton and Hove Albion twice, once in the EFL Cup, once in the Premier League. They came back to action with a pretty impressive win over a, a ranked Southampton team. Could they yeah. could they do it again against Arsenal?
2: I think history, recent history, will be on their side. I think they've only lost once in their last five home matches, Premier League home matches, against Arsenal. And I think their matchup favors them, especially the, an Arsenal team, that there's still some answers and things to be answered. And they, they answered it well with that first test against West Ham on Boxing Day, getting goals. The question was, how were they going to cope with life without Gabriel Jesus? And Eddie Nketiah, That is the player that I'm keeping an eye on. Bakayo Saka, he's back to doing his thing for club and country, back amongst the goals. Martinelli backs um, amongst the goals. But when I watched their last match against West Ham, I I was just really happy to see uh, Eddie Nketiah get that goal. I think they'll do wonders for his confidence. You could see his hold-up play. His ability to spin and play between the two center halves really impressed me. I did not see that from him in previous matches. So I think he'll have a big role to play in this game.
5: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Arsenal are. I mean, you know, they they've started the the way that they needed to post World Cup. Uh, I was surprised that Saliba was was involved uh, so quickly because from what we had sort of heard, it sounded like he might be sort of you know broken back in or eased back in. uh, But then obviously, thrown straight in, and. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, this is going to be a big test. And I think maybe the most interesting thing about it is that I think it comes a couple of hours after Manchester City play, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. So City have their game uh, and then Arsenal play after that. So they'll know whether or not the gap has been cut before they even take to the pitch. Uh, So obviously that does, uh, you know, give City the opportunity to apply a bit of pressure, which they're going to need to do, uh, you know, given they're what, five points back at this moment in time. So... I think I think in many ways it's probably the biggest test for Arsenal because if they can come through something like this, which is a very tricky away day, uh, you know, it, it is going to be a massive boost for their title hopes going into 2023. But also at the same time, it's one of those matches where I guess if you're looking at it, uh, you know, and you said like, okay, you can be guaranteed a point now. Uh, it's not really the worst result, uh, you know, especially if City do manage to beat Everton, as we all probably expect.
4: Yes, I mean, I, I, I would agree there, Jonathan. I think for me, the intriguing question is whether someone like Martin Erdegaard can keep up this one. We're going to be talking about really two Norwegians here who are uh, who have a point to prove after missing the World Cup in, in Haaland in one team and, and Erdegaard in the other. I think you can actually make a case that these are certainly two of the players who, who deserve to be in those final conversations for PFA Player of the Year, assuming things carry on as they are. And of course, we've not even reached the halfway stage. Um, quick predictions, Mike, Score
2: for this one? I think the Arsenal do win. I think the confidence that they showed in the second half in particular in that Boxing Day match will carry on into this game. It's going to be a close game, though. Brighton are going to make it difficult. I go 2-1 Arsenal. J.D.?
5: Interesting. I'm actually going to go for the same score. I think Arsenal get a late winner. I think it will be made to sweat it, but they will come through uh, and ultimately get the win.
4: Yeah, I'm going one-all. I mean, we have to remember the depth that Arsenal would like. We could talk about Madrid, we could talk about Smith-Rowe coming back, uh, Gabriel Jesus being out. The depth isn't really there. And I think when you bear in mind they've got that Newcastle game, this could be a bit of a struggle of a period coming up. Uh, so I'm going to go for a one-all draw. Um, we should, In theory, we should talk about Manchester City against Everton, but I'm not interested in talking about that. What you have here <laughs> is the best striker in the Premier League against the worst defence in the Premier League. Um, this is going to be one-sided. So I'm going to skip straight over that. I'm not interested. I'm much more interested in Newcastle United, Jonathan Johnson, because it has happened now that they have returned back to the Premier League. We are finally having a conversation that isn't just, can Newcastle finish in the top four? I think we know the answer to that one, but it's, can Newcastle United go and win the Premier League title? I mean, it, you know, they are on quite remarkable form. Third place in the Premier League, but briefly claimed second and And a really comprehensive win over, it has to be said, an atrocious Leicester team um, in that first game. But what have you made of of Newcastle?
5: I've been very impressed. I mean, I I think, you know, remember where we were sort of this time last year, I think what Eddie Howard walked into what was quite a challenging situation. People knew that, uh, you know, Unai Emery had been the first choice for the Newcastle job. He ultimately didn't go for it. Uh, I don't think many people would have predicted that we'd be having the conversation that we're having now, uh, you know, this time one year ago. But, you know, here we are. Uh, You know, and Newcastle have done a very, very good job. You know, they are... a. A very solid, very uh, impressive side. Uh, you know, there have been some excellent elements added uh, over the last uh, 12 months or so. Uh, you know, Guimaraes was was key again in that win uh, over Leicester. Uh, and you've got Sven Botman as well, who's helping to, to make that defence, uh, you know, watertight uh, at the moment. And then you've got uh, Miguel uh, Almiron as well, who's in, uh, you know, phenomenal form. And it's, uh, it, it, is, it is very impressive what Eddie Howe has managed to do are we going to be talking about Newcastle as potential title contenders? Not just yet, uh, or certainly not from, from my point of view. But, uh, you know, are they sort of dark horses to, to get a Champions League spot? Uh, you know, I think they're absolutely in the the mix at this moment in time. And I think if you look at, uh, you know, the the makeup of the, the Premier League table at this moment, you can't, you know, you can't rule them out. Third, three points clear of uh, Spurs. Uh, four points clear of United uh, you know I think they, they're looking good to, to finish in that top four we'll see if they can uh, you know manage to catch up uh, against one of the likes of Arsenal or City my feeling is that they probably can't and it's more important that they keep an eye on the teams that can maybe catch them mm. but if they can maintain the form that they've been in the last couple of months there's absolutely no reason why they can't
2: finish in the top four I think we'll find out so much more about this Newcastle team. They they are a very good team. They are one of the best teams in the Premier League. And the stats don't lie. I look defensively at their stats. Uh, the Premier League teams that have good defenses tend to have good outcomes. A lot a lot is put towards the attack. But how they defend as a team, I look at all three goals. All three goals come from every single player on the team hunting the ball. They're not a team that, that will press you for 90 minutes. They press off goal kicks. But what I like about them is they win Second balls, whether it's attackers winning second balls, midfielders winning second balls, defenders winning second balls, their ability to be so tight from front to back makes them so difficult to play against. And when they break, they really go for it. Miguel Almiron has really adapted his game to the Premier League because when I look at the two years between last year and this year, his movement off the ball. Last year, he wanted the ball to feet at all times, and it was too predictable. This year, he can check to the ball or he can run in behind. He is a pacey player and doesn't get enough credit in the Premier League for being one of the fastest players. And when he gets in the final third, his ability to have a calm, cool, and collected head and apply the finishing touch, that has been the difference for he and Newscastle this year. They're very efficient in the final third.
4: I can't believe you didn't mention Leeds, Michael Ahood. Potentially Ah, adding (laughs) another USMNT, MLS... The MLS export in uh, Kai Wagner as well, who, from mm. what I hear, is is coming in at left back to to strengthen their options there. That's a bit of a weak position, and and I think as much as there's rightly a lot of praise for Newcastle, this is a huge game for Leeds um, and Jesse Marsh. I don't, I mean, I don't think the pressure's quite on yet, but so often, and we mm. saw this just before the World Cup break, didn't we? And I thought they were they performed creditably for a while against Man City, and they performed creditably for a while against Tottenham, and these aren't games where I'm expecting you to get points, and the same is true of Newcastle. But at some stage, if you get no points from the games where you're expected to get no points, then it starts looking quite hairy. And in that Premier League table, they're down there in 15, 15 points, actually you a perfectly reasonable goal difference, minus six, four wins, three draws, eight defeats. You know, Leeds, we have to say, are, are teetering on the edge of something very awkward and very uncomfortable for Jesse Marsh, which is... It's really hard to know what the next step is. And that kind of brings me on to the other team that I'm I'm really intrigued by. And I'm looking forward to seeing how things turn out for them. They're in, on the Premier League table, 16th position for West Ham United. Now, this is a West Ham team that, that you know, look like they might be the seventh best team in England, the, the, the best team outside the big six. And last year we're competing with, with Leicester, another team we see down there. Um, battling to stay, you know, in the race for maybe Champions League, and, and certainly, obviously, they got in the Europa League, Conference League this season. They're doing pretty well. You Saw them against Arsenal for large parts of the game. They were they were pretty good. They defended quite well. They got their goal on the counter attack, and then it all fell apart. And suddenly, we're looking at this West Ham team hovering a point above the relegation zone, and wondering is David Moyes, who has done so much to change this club, to to lift up what they expect of themselves to see themselves as a big team once more. He could be fighting for his job. Couldn't he, Mike?
2: I think the vultures are about to start circling uh, this West Ham team. Given the, the, the performance against Arsenal for 45 minutes, they looked like the West Ham of last year, difficult to play against. When they hit on the counter, they really went for it. Uh, I thought Jared Bowen looked lively, Miguel Antonio looked lively, and and their attackers were getting in good spots. Their midfield looked more watertight than they had been, but it's becoming fragile. When they go down a goal, the game is done. You could just feel it coming. At the Emirates, when Arsenal scored that first goal, it was as if the whole belief went out of the West Ham team, went out of the locker room, and when that starts happening, when you start giving up leads, and I look at a team like Leeds United who, yes, they're scoring goals, but there is a fragility that's starting to show in the second half of games. For West Ham United, I think that fragility, I think that breaking point is coming very, very soon. And I expect David Moyes to get the sack.
5: I think one thing that I would add about Leeds before we sort of move on from them completely is they, I think they do have that game in hand. Now, I'm not sure exactly who it's against but games in hand, when you're down there in that situation, I think they're the only team in the bottom half of the table who do True. have potentially a game that can sort of change their situation. If they manage to get the three points in that, then their position looks a little different. No, there's Palace as well, actually, on uh, on 15. So if they can pick up points there, then maybe their situation doesn't look as bleak. Now, in terms of West Ham, and I think the same could perhaps go for Leicester as well. I think these teams who have sort of flirted with sort of breaking into that big six, when they fail to do that, there often seems to be this, I mean, I wouldn't say it's necessarily an acceptance, but like a lot of teams almost kind of seem beaten by trying to break into that top six. And then afterwards comes this kind of falling away period where, you know, they really struggle. I honestly, I didn't expect West Ham to sort of still be down here uh, at this point in the season. Uh, Obviously they have the the quality within their ranks to to pick up points and move uh, up that table and, and get upwardly mobile fairly quickly. But you know, I kind of feel like we've been saying this for you know since the beginning of the season, and it still hasn't really happened. Uh, you know, I remember when they picked up uh, a win against Villa, and I thought they'd really kick on. And you know, the fact that Villa are ahead of them uh, at this moment in time, you know, I think tells its own tale. And four points ahead of them, I, I might add. It's yeah, it's 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 a tricky, it's it's a tricky one to gauge, um, because I don't think that West Ham can afford to sort of you know, wait for Moyes to turn it around too much longer, especially if they get dragged even closer into that relegation mix. I mean, Wolves picked up a big, big win the other day against Everton. Uh, Yeah. I mean, and Leicester as well, Uh, you know, Leicester kind of, I think they had that moment where they might have pulled the trigger uh, on Brendan Rodgers. They didn't, uh, you know, and obviously they've improved their situation a little bit since then, but there are a lot of big teams with some, you know, some quality players when you look at them individually, uh, you know, down there in the mix uh, at the moment. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of what applies to West Ham also does uh, apply to Leicester as well. And, you know, it doesn't get very, you know, any easier for them going away to Liverpool, Uh, You know, in West Ham, Brentford at home, not an easy game either. So uh, I'm not sure I can necessarily see any uh, New Year festive cheer for, uh, for these two.
4: I love this comment from Rafa Cardenas. Remember, please do get involved. If you're watching along on YouTube or, you know, if you're listening back to this, send Jonathan Johnson a tweet telling him how wrong he is about West Ham <laughs> to stop going on about Aston Villa. Look, we've tried. If you can't, if we can't make it work, maybe you can. But great comment here from Rafa Cardenas. I still rub my eyes whenever I see Paqueta in a yeah. West Ham shirt. I mean, this is, you know, it, it's not just him, I would add. I mean, obviously we didn't see the guy at the World Cup, but Gianluca Skamaka. that was a statement signing, so to speak. You know, Nayefa Gerd, who we didn't see much of in the Premier League, but seeing the guy at the World Cup, you think there's some real talent to work with that they were adding to a squad that had just finished, you know, in a Europa Conference League place and was duking it out with the best and nearly won the Europa League. It's so strange to see this team doing so poorly because, and I'll be right about this, you can read it after the Brentford match which I'll be at, they're not playing that badly. It's really hard to put your finger on why this average Premier League team or, maybe above average is right down at the bottom on, on, on that, get, uh, th- on that know, though
5: yeah like if you're adding quality elements to what is mm. essentially like an average or slightly above average team I mean that comes with its own kind of like challenges actually you know, getting them to sort of bed in and getting that chemistry so that the players you know kind of gel and, and manage to work towards something and it, it you know that kind of thing is going to take time, uh, I think. And perhaps, you know, that's what we're seeing at the moment. This transformation from West Ham being sort of, you know, an average kind of like mid-table team to one that actually has, uh, you know, the the sort of elements to, to be challenging, uh, you know, for places higher up in the league table and just perhaps this mm-hmm. tricky patch of form, uh, you know, uh, uh, kind of the the teething problems. Obviously, they got unlucky with Aguero getting injured so early in the season. But, uh, you know, I, I do agree with you, uh, you know, that they, these are some quality elements that have been added to the, to the squad. And, you know, you would expect in theory that it makes West Ham better and more able to, to challenge for those kind of positions in the future.
4: Yeah, that's a very good point. And I think it's actually kind of quite reflective of where the West Ham hierarchy are in their thinking as well. Um, Mike when we're talking about new signings, there's another one that we have to get excited about. Another player that, that all eyes are on. Of course, he will not be available for the game against Leicester because he can't officially sign until January. That is Cody Gakpo at Liverpool. Um, a, a guy on a real hot streak in the areas of easy, maybe an unsustainable hot streak you might think. Yeah. Um, what's your thoughts on Liverpool signing him?
2: Ah, they've done it again. They beat United to it again. First it was Nunez. Now it's Gakpo. So, Darn you, Liverpool front office. No, this this comes at a good time. If, if Gekko
5: ends up uh, like Nunez, <laughs> yeah. you'll be the one laughing in a couple of
2: months. <laughs> That's why I said Nunez, two's company. Uh, this is a good signing for them. They they needed to address the attack. They've had injury problems, the loss of Diego Jata, and now Lucho Diaz it was a big blow for Jurgen Klopp and his team. And they need to immediately freshen things up if they want to push and have realistic expectations of pushing for a Champions League team. Liverpool are silently climbing up the table. They don't want attention on them as they're rebuilding things in the second half of the season. I think Gakpo's versatility is what makes him a good acquisition. He can play anywhere along the front line. He could even play as an attacking player in midfield. You saw it with the Dutch. Louis van Gaal... Would play him in the front line as one of the two strikers. Liverpool this year, they have their traditional 4-3-3, but they have been known in, in Champions League. Y- you can catch them on Paramount Plus when they return in February. But in the Champions League, they have been known to play a 4-4-2 diamond, and Gakpo will be an asset with that versatility.
4: <sighs> I have to say, I'm not. I'm, I'm well, I'm ready to be surprised by this, but I think there's something quite interesting in what's happened at Liverpool since all their data. Led staff have started leaving which is you buy players like Luis Diaz, Darwin Nunez and now Cody Gakpo who are all just on almighty tears where they hugely outperform their XG um, and they're coming maybe from the the second tier of European leagues they're Portuguese league so there's a lot of questions about whether we're talking small sample sizes coming from Champions League performances so I am going to remain a little bit sceptical. I think Liverpool have still, even in this new setup, or, you know, when you have a coach like Jurgen Klopp on attack, on working with the attack, you earn the sort of, you know, the right to 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 make a few mistakes. You earn the benefit of the doubt. But uh, I'm suspicious about this one. I live to be proven wrong, though. Um, finally, let's wrap up this Premier League segment because, of course, we have to talk about Aston Villa, who were. Uh, Fell to defeat against uh, Liverpool last time out, but wasn't the worst performance. One of the worst performances I saw was the first 45 minutes from Tottenham uh, away to Brentford uh, to start off Boxing Day. JJ, are you feeling confident at all about this game? I mean, you must be confident that that Villa will take the lead because the only thing you can rely on from Tottenham (laughs) is that they'll fall into an early deficit.
5: Yeah, this one was interesting because I was still actually at home uh, just before we had uh, a bite to eat for lunch on Boxing Day. Unfortunately treated to that first half of uh, of Tottenham against Brentford. Uh, my granddad was staggered uh, when he asked me what the score was later on and I told him it was 2-2 basically since the time that we'd sat up to eat and uh, three <laughs> goals have been scored. <laughs> but uh, no, it was, um, I mean, to be honest, I don't, I don't feel too sort of you know, down on the the, the Villa performance, uh, you know, I think obviously Emi Martinez coming back uh, between the sticks. Unfortunately, Robin Olsen, uh, you know, has made a pretty convincing case for himself as the full guy. I don't think he's played in any games where Villa have conceded, you know, less than three goals uh, since he's arrived at the club, which is very unfortunate for him. Um, but I, I did see enough from, you know, watching that, you know, laboured Spurs performance, you know, it took them a long, long time to get going against Brentford to suggest that, you know, Villa, you know, could hurt them. I think in what Villa are doing at the moment, the changes they're trying to make, obviously there's a lot of speculation about uh, Coutinho, whether or not he might be off 12 months after, you know, making his move permanently. Oh, I know that James is feeling very smug about this. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> <But> it's, just, <laughs> it's just all my interests
4: <laughs> rolled into one. There's Unai Emery being unable to deal with a well remunerated playmaker in addition to me having said all along that they should never sign Coutinho permanently.
5: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was it was one of those ones where I think it made more sense for what Coutinho sort of brought in terms of pulling power. Uh, I guess if you look at some of the elements that Villa added over the summer, you could say that that, Kind of worked to an extent, but then again, uh, you know, at what cost? Obviously, we saw, uh, you know, how far down Villa fell in the first half of the season under Steven Gerrard before the axe, uh, you know, was was wielded. But I mean, I think I think Villa definitely have an opportunity here to to do something. What you know, if we're talking about maybe coming away with a win, I wouldn't go quite that far, but maybe picking up a draw and still continuing this kind of wave of positivity that has come in with Unai Emery. Uh, you know, I do think that while the Liverpool defeat at three one was you you know probably uh you know the the biggest one that Villa have been on the receiving end so far since he took over uh you know there were encouraging aspects about it and I do think that we will see Villa continue to to transition uh you know in the next couple of months whereas for Spurs it kind of I felt like some of the players who were featuring I was like is this is not too soon to see them mm-hmm. sort of in action know Perisic was was rushed back after making a deep run at the World Cup with Croatia and you know while that might pay off right now uh you know in, in picking up some points you know, where are these guys going to be in a couple of months time, if they've been running to the ground through this festive period, just after coming back from the world cup. And let's face it, Antonio Conte is not exactly going to, you know, go to these players and say, you know what, take, take a few days off, you know, take the best part of the week off, get, get your, get your batteries recharged and then uh, you know come back just in, in time to, to really throw yourself into it. No, he's, you know, he's going to demand the absolute maximum of them. Uh, you know, and at some point, you know, these guys, uh, I think are going to conk out and, uh, in OK, you could say that, you know, they were, Spurs were unlucky with one of the goals. I think it was the the Janouts one way, you know, you could say that, you know, Foster, you know, could have maybe done a bit, uh, Foster, sorry, could have done maybe a bit better with it. But, Also, at the same time, Spurs have been doing this pretty much all season, as James alluded to. Uh, You know, and it does feel like it's something that will continue against Villa here. I'm saying this, we'll probably get absolutely thumped now, 4-0 or something. Oh, I
4: doubt it. I doubt it. And that is our uh, Premier League preview. I mean, we haven't managed to hit every game because, you know, the Premier League at this stage of the season it's a bit like that bit in The Simpsons where... Homer is being force-fed donors. I mean, we haven't even <laughs> talked about Wolves against Manchester United. Julian Lopetegui starting really well. Manchester United, it all looks great without Cristiano Ronaldo. No surprises there. I mean, I say it all looks great, except for Anthony. What's going on there? You better hope Shakhtar the next don't actually see how badly Anthony's performing, given his price tag. Otherwise, they might add another £100 million. But that is our Premier League preview wrapped up. After the break, we'll be talking La Liga and, of course, Liga.
6: Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
4: In addition to the world's best American football, you can watch the world's best actual football. Don't stop watching the world's best soccer. Stream every match of the UEFA Champions League live on Paramount+. It's soccer's ultimate competition, not for country, but for club. Sign up today for 50% off an entire year using the code all year at paramountplus.com slash sports. I didn't understand any of that NFL read, really, I have to confess. <laughs> uh, and I'm probably going to get into pr- trouble with producer Des for, for owning up to that. But, might correct me if I'm wrong. It's at the, the Super Bowl that soon, right? Who's going to win the Super Bowl? We'll preview that instead. I don't like talking about
2: those. Yeah. Oh, just quick on the Super Bowl. I'm picking the NFC East or NFC East. Someone in the NFC. I have to say Minnesota Vikings. My in-laws are from Minnesota. So we cheer for the Vikings here.
4: No idea, mate. <laughs> right. In term, let's talk about something else that I am extremely indifferent about. La Liga's back, baby. We are recording this on Thursday, I have to say. So the first slate of fixtures in Spain, including a thrilling match, no doubt, involving Atletico Madrid. Uh, We won't be able to talk about that too much, but um, I I think that, let's be honest, producer Dez does not want us to talk about Atletico Madrid, uh, given uh, given how woeful they were before uh, La Liga's return. So let's have a look at that La Liga table before we go any further. Leading the way, of course, Barcelona, for all the uh, crisis off the pitch, sort of maybe gets forgotten a little bit that 14 games played in La Liga, 12 wins, one draw, one defeat. That's enough to keep them just clear of Real Madrid with 11, two and one. I mean, it's as it always is by this stage of a La Liga season, it's it's looking like a bit of a two-horse race. Mike Lahoud, Barcelona kick-off with the Barcelona derby, so to speak, Barcelona versus Espanyol. What do we think for that game? Is this a potential banana skin in waiting? And just to, I mean, we're already hearing the mood music about finances, about potential player sales already rising. When this is in season, as someone that you know has played the game, how much of a, an impact is this going to have on Barcelona and on Xavi's players?
2: I think there's going to be a lot of pressure in the second half of the season. The World Cup gone. I look at the fitness levels of the players coming back. Frankie De Jong making a run with the Dutch national team. I really look at the, the psyche of the disappointment of the Spanish national team players. The young players who have gone through the Pevis, the Gavis, who have gone through a disappointing World Cup cycle. And now come back with the heightened pressure and the expectations of a Barca team at the top of La Liga. They also have Europa League. You can catch them here on Paramount Plus against Manchester United. That tie will tell you a lot about this Barcelona team. In league form, they have been Lewandowski dependent. I also look at the mental place of Awan Usman Dembele. He has been good this season. It may be too quick for him to come back and fixture in this match, but I'm looking to see what type of reaction he has after a disappointing World Cup final. Those two players, Lewandowski and Dembele, they need to be at their best at Barcelona are to win the league title.
5: I mean, I think uh, you know, with with Dembele, um, he, you know, he will probably take uh, you know a bit a bit of time to get over the disappointment of you know such a major underperformance in the World Cup final. But also at the same time, you know, could probably take heart in you know having been quite a a key component to that French team that made the run all the way to the final. I'm actually not paying as much attention, though, to to Barca Espanyol as I am towards the the clash between Real Betis and Athletic uh, Bilbao Athletic mm-hmm. Club, uh, which is actually, uh, you know, one of the, the more interesting sort of battles, uh, you know, for a, a Champions League spot. Because you've got Bilbao uh, on 24 points like Betis, both having played 14 games. And whoever wins that one, uh, you know, could put themselves in the reckoning. Uh, you know, perhaps getting... Uh, you know, able to leapfrog Atletico Madrid, you know, assuming that Atleti's struggles continue, kind of fingers crossed that they do because we know how much uh, entertainment it provides in the uh, House of Champions chat with <laughs> producer Dez, <laughs> who's just told me where to go after that comment. <laughs> no, but I mean, honestly, for, for Betis kind of felt like they'd been knocking on the door for a while now. Athletic Club, you know, have made it a habit of remaining competitive despite their Basque-only policy. Uh, And you've also got, uh, you know, another Basque powerhouse, Real Sociedad, uh, you know, up there as well. Two points better off than both Betis uh, and Athletic Club. So that one feels like it could be a real defining fixture uh, in terms of which teams might be there challenging for the Champions League. And uh, to be honest, if one of them doesn't at least finish above Athletic and pinch one of those Champions League spots, it would feel like quite a disappointment given Uh, you know, sort of how badly Atleti have kind of fallen away from you know being able to compete at the top with Barca and Real of late. Uh, You know, this feels like a massive opportunity. And for Betis in particular, it feels like the logical next step, given they've had domestic cup success, uh, you know, they've had a bit of a a dalliance in Europe as well. You know, now actually making it back to the Champions League sort of feels like it would be the logical part of this uh, Pellegrini project.
4: Yes, and of course, JJ. Anyone that's listening to the podcast form that game will already have been played. So uh, do let JJ know if his takes are all completely wrong. The other thing to to point out, we are seeing the Ballon d'Or winner back in action, folks. Maybe we could have seen that in the round of sixteen if Karim Benz the briefings from Karim Benzema's agent are to be believed, he uh, may have been fitter further uh, earlier than was expected. Uh, he'll be back in action for Real Madrid. We're expecting Vinicius Junior as well back. Luka Modric, Aurelian Choumane. We've we seen players that have carried quite a heavy load there in the World Cup for their respective nations. Mike, um, do you think there'll be a hangover? Oh, this is Real Madrid and a fairly favourable fixture list. They should be fine.
2: I think they should be fine. They, they have the manager who knows how to get the best out of players and knows how to motivate, especially these young players who have just finished their first World Cup campaign. I think of the two Brazilians, Vinicius Jr. and Rodrigo. I think Rodrigo will have a big part to play. Kareem Benzema rejuvenated, healthy, hopefully, for this matchup. I think him coming back, the World Cup, will be a big motivator for him because he is the reigning Balon d'Or winner, and he will have a point to prove. He will have a point to prove that France should have brought him back in for the final. And there's no better way to do it than getting back to action. And when you're a striker, strikers thrive on scoring goals. I expect him back on the score sheet and business as usual, a player who will be massive in conducting things in the middle of the park, though, who did not feature at the world cup, the experience of a one, Tony Cruz, the conductor, the maestro. I think he will be rejuvenated. I think he will be back to some of his best because before the world cup, he wasn't, as Tony Cruz-esque, and I think the young legs of Camavinga build Madrid out at different times. Turmani, obviously the the starting first-choice defensive midfielder for Madrid, but I, I think they're in a good position.
4: Oh, I'm really excited to see more of Turmani, especially as we get into the uh, the Champions League on Paramount Plus. And over the coming months, I think, you know, we saw at the World Cup, he was so far ahead of, I think, what anyone could realistically have expected on the biggest stage. And now we're going to see it all over again. I'm really excited for what this guy could do in the second half of the season. On the subject of French talent, Jonathan Johnson. Look at that for a segue. Lens against Paris Saint-Germain. What do you make of my French accent? Uh, JJ, it was quite a uh, dramatic return to action for PSG. Why don't you talk us through it?
5: loving the french accent first and uh and, and foremost and you know unfortunately you guys have drawn the short straw because you know when you get me on uh, lance it's going to be like an hour of uh of, of French footballing goodness. I'm sure that Dez can probably uh, clip up uh, an entire compilation on me chatting about Lance. So I'll try and keep it brief on them. Obviously, uh, with Lance in action later today, we're recording on the Thursday. We don't know exactly what situation they'll be in going into this one. Uh, it will definitely be a top top of the two, the top two in league on clash uh, between them and PSG on uh, New Year's Day. But PSG, uh, you know, left it late against Strasbourg to get the win. Kylian Mbappe picking up where he left off in the World Cup, uh, scoring a penalty late on dramatic fashion to, to- win the three points PSG pretty underwhelming Neymar getting sent off to quick fire bookings uh, the second one for for diving so there was plenty of acrimony at Parc des Princes but uh, a lot of public support for, for Kylian Mbappé and I think we'll see that over the coming weeks as well uh, you know when PSG are going to places like Lens but this this will definitely be I think uh, the sternest test uh, of, of PSG's unbeaten season so far but on the topic of, uh, of, of
4: French talent well, Can I just, Earth, can I just cup, dive in there sorry um, Go for it. I'm very intrigued when you said sort of saying the public support for Mbappe. How much is his standing in France, maybe the wider country beyond just PSG, how much has that changed just based on the final? Because, uh, I mean, it was the, one of the greatest individual 10 minutes we've ever seen.
5: Yeah, I mean, I you know, I think a lot of people have come around to the fact, I mean, I think the oh, first thing I will say is, you know, Mbappe used up a lot of credit in dragging out those links with Real Madrid and then opting to to extend with PSG. I think he undid a lot of, wouldn't necessarily call it the damage, but you know, a lot of the impatience that have perhaps built up, uh, you know, from some people towards him. Uh, and I think he actually won a bit of respect, not only in in showing that you know he could stand up and be counted when when needed to for his country, but also because uh, you know he then showed when he came back, uh, you know, from international duty, he didn't want to sort of wallow in his his sadness for a couple of weeks. You know, he got straight back to it with PSG and I think it's at that moment, you know, people realised what they'd been realising throughout the World Cup and that this is a very mature version of Kylian Mbappé now. Certainly a more mature version than the one we saw at the Euros a year ago Uh, and, you know, somebody who, you know, has finally started to earn the respect, uh, you know, of a lot of, uh, you know, French football fans, not just PSGs, but, you know, sort of across the country as well, given what he made managed to achieve, uh, you know, for his country, uh, you know, in a in a in a squad that wasn't at the end of the day expected to to get back to the final, yes, you know they were defending champions, but no one really had them pegged, uh, you know, to get as far as they did. Uh, interesting question coming in from Rafa Cardenas, who's the most popular French player amongst the French people. I mean, I think Griezmann uh, is is a strong candidate for that. Uh, you know, he is what? kind of seen as like the <laughs> no, but I mean, you know, his uh, his his sort of uh, his decision uh, to to leave Atleti for Barcelona seems a long, a long way in the past. Uh, and he's somebody who generally tends to reserve his best performances uh, for the French national team. So I'd say that he's definitely sort of one of the more popular players. I think the the player who's probably the most university-liked from the World Cup that nobody has a bad word to say about is Olivier Giroud. Uh, you know, I think Ooh. he is pretty much the most unanimous uh, alongside uh, Kylian Mbappe in terms of the, the regular starters. But uh, it's... Uh, you know, it's, it's an interesting time because obviously there was that huge outpouring of excitement celebration when they won in 2018 and then, Everything sort of stagnated a little bit, and you know the the French public got fed up with the national team. But now, since they actually sort of showed uh, you know that hunger again, that desire, and went on that run to the final, yes, you know there has been sort of uh, you know some excuses proffered, like a bad performance from the referee, that sort of thing. But generally, you know there has actually been great appreciation for the French national team, the players who are in the squad, Didier Deschamps as well, for what they managed to do. Uh, I wouldn't say against the odds in Qatar, but they certainly weren't expected uh to to go as far as they do and before i, I finish on the, the the french talent i was about to touch mm. upon we're already celebrating uh you know kilian mbappe getting back amongst the goals now do we have Kylian mbappe's heir apparent who's just made his name on the on the ligand scene We have 17-year-old Elise Ben-Seguer, who scored twice for Monaco in their 3-2 win away at Auxerre. Uh, He is definitely uh, a talent that people should be keeping their eye on. And if they haven't already looked him up on Football Manager, they will be doing so over over the next (laughs) couple of months.
2: JJ, uh, PSG Lance, you told me I made the mistake as my... Position is a lifelong Marseille fan. Could have been the
5: Lahut-Johnson derby. It's
2: not. <laughs> it could have been. But uh, Lance, PSG coming up on the horizon. Neymar red card. Where do PSG go from here, given that this is a massive game for the league, potentially for the title, and that's one of your key players with Messi, the uncertainty of Messi, when is he going to come back? I mean, how do PSG cope in a big matchup like that? Well, Messi won't be back in time for this one.
5: That that much is certain. He he might be back, best case scenario, I think two or three days after this one. From what it sounds like, PSG will bring Messi back when the likes of Mbappe and Neymar are resting uh for the French Cup game. That might well have changed now that Neymar got that sending off. But obviously it's not it's not ideal uh, you know, to have Neymar uh, unavailable for that. I mean we are looking at, you know, that performance against Strasbourg and the red card, but he did also get the assist from Marquinhos for the opening goal. And he, you know, he didn't actually look that bad. He did look kind of motivated. Unfortunately, Strasbourg and Neymar is a, is a very particular story where they often reserve some quite hefty uh, treatment for him. And, you know, obviously he cracked, Christoph Gautier said he had no arguments with the, the booking for the dive, um, but sort of wish that the referee had perhaps been a little fairer uh, in terms of the distribution of the yellow cards. Uh, but, you know, obviously, Neymar getting sent off does not help PSG, uh, especially at this sort of time when they're trying to work through sort of the, the availabilities of the players, uh, you know, getting the team back on the pitch after more than a month of inactivity. Uh, you know, so it's, yeah, they're, they're, this is probably the biggest threat to, to PSG's unbeaten run so far, but a challenge, but at the same time for for Kylian Mbappe, and obviously to continue in this talismanic role that he now absolutely has, uh, you know, between both hands for club and country.
4: It's very strange, JJ, I have to say, you, you, you're talking about <laughs> Lionel Messi coming back. for I, I mean, I love the French cup. It's got that. It's got that wonderful sense of randomness to it, and like you say, it. it, it well, it, it, it even outperforms the uh, the FA Cup when it comes to slightly bizarre giant killings. But the idea that Lionel Messi, you know, the greatest player that that ever was, might be coming back to play against whoever it may be, Shut it's very own. weird. I don't, I, mean, I literally don't are. Saudi,
5: Saudi and Chateau in the third tier.
4: Oh, well, I appreciate that. That's got some lovely narrative, hasn't it, for uh, the brand ambassador for Saudi Arabia to be back to play against them. But I mean, my view on this is always that, you know, if I had ever got to Lionel Messi's position in anything I was doing in life, when that moment came, the the peak, the moment when you've achieved everything else, that's when I would retire.
2: Mm. Michael Hude,
4: would you be carrying on if you were Lionel Messi?
2: Yeah, I, I definitely would. <laughs> if I think, if I think this would be a different conversation had the World Cup been when it normally is in the summer, I think that that retirement question becomes a bit more of a realistic topic. But this guy is still playing, and he's having a rejuvenated season. He's back to being some of his best fighting against father time in ways that we're not seeing from the likes of Cristiano Ronaldo and other older players. And he's, when you win a world cup like that, sometimes as a world superstar, it just whets your appetite. It it creates that hunger. It creates that fire in your belly that you may have been thinking differently heading into the year. I think he will want to continue to play for as long as he can.
5: Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with that, especially when you consider that, you know, if we're talking about uh, a Ronaldo and Messi and, you know, I don't want to keep bringing it back to that eternal battle between the two of them, but, you know, Messi is still performing, still performing at the highest level, whether that's in the Champions League, whether that's in the World Cup, whereas, you know, Ronaldo hasn't been for a while. And, you know, I think for Messi as well, you know, in his situation with PSG at this moment in time, he could actually sign off with, you know, landing PSG their first ever Champions League title. That's not impossible uh, this season. Uh, you know, whether I'd rank them amongst the favourites right now, that uh, you know, that's a whole other debate. But, you know, there are still things that Messi can achieve. Uh, and I think as well, uh, you know, if Messi is really thinking about sort of, you know, stringing his, you know, continuing his career for another couple of years, uh, you know, he's probably got an element of, uh, you know, sort of planning to do in order to make sure that he gets in all of the different experiences that he wants to have. Uh, you know, before finally calling it a day. And if some of those rumours that he actually will play on and feature at the 2026 World Cup as, uh, you know, a defending champion member of the, the Argentina squad, uh, you know, then I guess it's in his best interest to continue in Europe for a little while longer.
4: Look, you've still not talked me around. He should have gone out on a high. This could have been his <laughs> Jordan against the Utah Jazz moment. But well, Jordan stairs. came back. Well, that's the point, isn't it? And we all have to pretend he didn't. No one wants Washington Wizards, Lionel Messi. And yes, you know that is playing it into Miami, the Washington Wizards of the MLS. And uh, any team number in charge, I think Washington Wizards is the best they can aspire to be. Yeah, Lionel Messi, look, you know, if I was his business manager who was earning money every time he uh, every time he took to the pitch, I'd still be saying to him, You've got to retire, Lionel. Uh retire straight away, drop the World Cup and, and walk off the pitch into the uh, into the sunset. On the subject of walking off into the sunset, that is us done. God, I am nailing these segues today. That is us done for today. Jonathan Johnson, Mike Lahood, thank you so much for joining me. And thanks so much to you for listening to House of Champions. Please take a moment to leave us a rating and review on your favourite podcast platform. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're on Stitcher. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, we're there. We're also available as video. Subscribe to us on YouTube and keep up to date with everything House of Champions, everything European football and beyond. Thank you so much for watching. We'll see you after this weekend's thrilling games in the Premier League. Peace out, everyone. Thanks for watching. Bye bye.